0: So, near the end of these messages, we're moving through a tremendous amount of content every Sunday. So, the podcast that we do during the week will be important to cover some of the, uh, the details because there's just too much stuff. So, like, for example, this week, we're starting in chapter 18 and moving through 21, which is like the entire or majority of Paul's third missionary journey. And if you read through it, there's like 30 stories that happen in there and, uh, I'll give you a quick paraphrase. What you see is Paul is continuing on this missionary journey where God is leading him through visions and dreams and things to go and, and meet with and tell new people the good news of Jesus and what that means and demonstrate it through power. And he encounters and, and in this section, there's a lot of really strange encounters where he's like encountering magicians who go, gosh, this God you have is more powerful. We should burn all these scrolls that we have with spells on them. And we're not talking about like Gargamel stuff. We're talking about like real... Wizardy people, you know, which is weird for our worldview. Or these other people that are get really mad at Paul because they sell idols and stuff at a temple, and they're like, This guy's they're not mad at him because he's like saying something else necessarily. They're mad because what he's saying takes away their business. They're like, this guy's messing with business over here, you know. And anyway, you see this pattern, and you should read through this acts eighteen through twenty-one and see all these different stuff. You also see even like They're saying that Paul is, they're healing so many people, miraculously healing, like laying on hands, praying for people, and they're being healed. That's happening so much that even when they're praying and there's like cloths, or they say like handkerchiefs, or whatever that they're praying over, they'll even just take that and lay it on somebody and pray and say like in the same day, and then people are getting healed from that. That's crazy stuff. I want to be a part of that. But you see a general pattern where he's sharing the gospel with new areas and he kind of ends up, he'll go back and check in in Jerusalem and say, hey, we're good. Yeah, we're good. And then he'll kind of go visit some of those places he was already at. Like, are you guys still good? And you can see some of this in the letters that he sent later on in the book, of, of the, later on in the Bible, we have these letters that he's sending to these people, like messages, because people are sending him word like, hey, this isn't going so well. So he's like, okay, let me send something, like, clean, the, you know, take that to them. But then he'll go by and check, hey, are you guys still good? Okay, cool. And then he'll head to some new area and then kind of do some of this stuff again. And that's what we see in these journeys. And so the story we're going to talk about today Kind of comes towards the beginning, and or maybe a little bit towards the middle because we're not exactly starting. At, we're starting at the end of Acts eighteen, and we're going through. But this part is coming at the end of Acts eighteen, the beginning of Acts nineteen, and we'll walk through it. And what it is is it's two stories that fit together that to kind of tell one story. And the story that they tell, I'll just tell you the punchline right now, is that every believer needs to have a spirit-filled life. Okay, I was I had written this whole thing out pretty much, and um, Ann Coop sent me a message from a guy named David Pawson, who he's got like, I was like, she sent me this, on this website, he's got like 40,000 messages on Acts, which they're all, I haven't listened to them all, I'm sure she has, but they're awesome, so if you want like detail about all these things, the, the internet is awesome, I mean, we have some amazing resources out there, but anyway, he said in, she sent me his message, I was like, okay, good, because that's basically what I was going to say on Sunday, I just, now I feel a little more fortified in what I was going to talk about. But he has said that, in his opinion, the church participates in the mission of the church. So, meaning being the church, being Christian people. He says he thinks the church participates in the mission only by virtue of its participation in the Holy Spirit. This is an intense thing I just said. The church participates in its mission only by virtue of its participation in the Holy Spirit. I want to say really clearly right now, that doesn't mean exactly the manifestations of everything, but... You can't have it without the other, okay? And that's going to be what we're talking about today. Two examples that tell one story, the same story. The first one is in Acts 18, 24 through 28, and it's about Apollos in Ephesus. This guy comes up later in the books. You know, Paul talks about him. This guy's not a lightweight guy. This guy's serious. He's really good at talking. That's his main thing. And he's really good at debating because... What Jesus did when Jesus came as the Messiah of Israel was both fulfilling all of the law and prophets and confusing to a lot of people that were waiting on the Messiah at the same time because people had different ideas of what the Messiah would say and do. Most of them were based on this, but some of them were based on other traditions. But the idea is that not everybody got it the first time. And so there was other people that that still haven't even heard about Jesus. So when Paul and these guys show up and say, hey, All that stuff already happened in this guy named Jesus. They're like, ah, come on, you know, like, we would have heard, you know, and then they have to, like, debate, and these aren't lightweight debates, like, I feel like this is true, and I feel like this is true. Let's fight about it. It's not like that. They're saying, like, I've memorized the entire what we call the Old Testament, and I'm not seeing what you're seeing in it. And you're like, well, I've also (laughs) memorized the entire Old Testament, and here's, let me show you how these things fit together. Turns out this Apollos guy's really good at that. But there's an interesting thing missing and I'm going to read this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native in Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was learned, he was a learned man, a learned man whatever, learned man <laughs> with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though, this is the important part, he knew only the baptism of John. He began speaking boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And then they kind of send him off on his thing. So they, so this guy gets it. He's heard about Jesus. He gets this stuff. And he's better at talking about it than just about everybody. Like, man, this guy is really good. But he's missing something. He'd only heard the baptism of John. Now, Priscilla and Aquila are people that Paul was hanging out with. And you can see kind of just before this in Acts 18 and all, they're traveling together, and they became buddies because they're Jewish people who believed in Jesus who also made tents, and Paul made tents for part of the time to make money while he's doing things, so they're like, oh, you're so they hung out for a while, and then they traveled together for a while, and then they kind of split up, and while Paul was going and doing a couple of things, they're in Ephesus meeting with people, and they run into this guy, and they're like, this guy's really good, but he's missing something. And what was it that he was missing? Now, this is the thing. He's, he knows only about the baptism of John. That's the thing. They're not saying he's a bad guy. They're saying he's really good. He's really gifted, and he's doing it right. But he only knows about the baptism of John, and there's something else they have to tell him. And the indication of exactly what that is comes in the, the narrative, as we would say, like, moves on to this other story where Paul encounters some people in the exact same condition, and he's a little more explicit about it. And so that is the second story, because they tell Apollos about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of Jesus, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then they send him off to do stuff. And it works really well, because you can read about it in other Paul's books and stuff like that. But then you see in Acts 19, 1 through 6, Paul in Ephesus meets some other people, and they're in the same boat. It's probably not a surprise, because Word gets around in these kind of places, and if one guy, especially the guy who's really good at teaching things, is missing something, probably a lot of people that are like, we're really earnestly doing what this guy's doing, like, you know what I mean? There's, they're not all independent. They know each other probably. Either way, it says here, while, they, while Apollos was, in, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Here we are again. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? They replied, wait, sorry. Well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. This is the transition I want us to focus on, because I think there are many of us that live a life that understands who Jesus is, wants to follow him, does all the, is trying to do all the right things, but are missing the power and strength and purification of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's like you're going to try to do something impossible by yourself. You can't do that. Sometimes it's because like these people, you just didn't know. But this is what we're going to talk about. He asks a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what he's asking, <laughs> he's asking two questions in one. It's not like saying, a lot of people get hung up on this stuff. And I'll just say really clear: we talked about this a couple weeks ago, so it doesn't really matter. The idea of following Jesus, receiving Jesus, being baptized in Jesus, that's the ideal moment that the indwelling of the Spirit happens. And for a lot of people, it does. They'll tell you their testimony. Like, I, 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 I heard about Jesus, I surrendered to him, and my life was changed from that moment forward. And that's how it ideally works. But as Paul is laying out here, there are at least, there's at least a chance that they cannot come at the same time. And again, I talked about this at length a couple weeks ago, so it doesn't really matter. The point is, ideally, they happen together, but they can happen separately, especially if you just have some of the information. David Paulson's illustration about this, was It would be like asking if you said, did you wipe your feet when you came in? He's not asking, did you come into the church? And he's not asking just, did you wipe your feet? He's asking, did these two things happen at the same time? My illustration, which is far more lowbrow than that, <laughs> was to say, if you went, I was going to ask, did you, when you went to Popeye's, did you get the chicken sandwich? You know that new chicken sandwich? Like I remember a, couple, like a year ago or whatever that was, <laughs> and I was driving home from here, And that Popeye's that they opened on Argyle, that line was, like, people were having accidents out there. And I was like, what is happening, (laughs) you know? And so I was like, man, Popeye's must, I don't, I had no, I, I was off the, sometimes I'm not hip, you know? And so I didn't know that there was, like, a thing about the sandwich, you know? I just thought, dang, some people really love Popeye's. I didn't know. But what they knew that I didn't know was there was this sandwich. And so it'd be like me, it was like what people were saying during that time, like, did you get the sandwich when you went to Popeye's? And you could say, I didn't know there was a sandwich. But then once you had it, your life was better, I guess, you know. I like the sandwich at Popeye's, but this was my lowbrow example. <laughs> so we'll say, did you wipe your feet when you came in? Those are the two, there are two questions in one. And he says that in the Greek, this is David Paulson again, there's not actually a the in there. Not did you receive the Holy Spirit, but did you receive Holy Spirit? And he's saying that when in his mind, and I, I like this, that it moves from a, quantitative to a, or from a quantitative to a qualitative question. Like, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, not like, did you receive Jesus? Like, I'm, you know, I'm like now, you know, he's like, no, like, did it change you? Are you different? You know, and he was, he thinks it even implies that he's like, if you did, where did it go? Like, it's not obvious right now. You know what I mean? And a lot of us are in that kind of spot where like somebody came up to you and said like, You follow Jesus, right? You're like, yeah, well, why does your life look exactly the same as mine? Why are you just as, why do you go on Facebook and complain just as much as all of my non-Christian friends? I don't see any difference. This kind of thing, you know. That's probably what Paul is saying. And he's like, did you receive the power or not? Because I'm not seeing it right now. But their response is going, we didn't know that was a thing. And what they're really saying is this is a key thing. Again, these are not slouches. These people know the Bible better than we do. And he's saying, um, well, Paul responds with a question. We'll get back into this in a second. Paul responds with a question. He's like, well, then what baptism did you receive? Like, if you didn't know this was a thing, what what are you doing here? You know, we didn't know. Did you receive the power of God when you got saved? We didn't know you could receive that. We just know you're supposed to act better or something like that, you know. And he's like, well, then, <laughs> why, like, why, how are you doing this? And they go, the baptism of John's the only thing we know about. And he goes, ah, okay, now I got it. And so what, you're, what we're looking at is people that have partial information. What I'm hoping today is that you leave here not in the case where these people are. I want you to have heard this. I want you to know this. God does not intend for us to live a Christian life or to be Christ-like, by ourselves, by trying harder. You can't do it. He it wants you to have his spirit come upon you and it changes you in ways that are miraculous, okay? And what they mean by John's baptism is this. You can see this in Luke three fifteen through 16. The people were, this is about John the Baptist. So Jesus is coming, his cousin John the Baptist is baptizing people, telling them the Messiah is coming. He's the forerunner. Jesus calls him Elijah because it's fulfilling some of the prophetic words here. But he's asking people to baptize themselves in repentance, which, and I was reading Craig Keener talking about this, he says this was an interesting challenge to people because there was ritual ritual washing in the Jewish religion, but this wasn't that. He was saying this was the kind of entry-level washing that you would have a person who is not an Israelite saying, I want to become like a Jewish person. And they say, okay, well, we're going to, th-. and the part of that was this, this washing of yourself and this process. And so John started taking that, that uh, activity and applying it to this. And he was basically saying to Jewish people, like he's saying to everyone, everyone has to come through this baptism of repentance. And it's a, so it's like there's something shifting now with this arrival of the Messiah. And so the people were waiting expectantly. They were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Again, like I said, people are having to figure things out. Like we know there's a Messiah coming. Is this the guy? John answered them all like this. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what Paul is realizing these guys don't know about yet. They're still stuck here. This guy's gonna come. Some of them have heard about Jesus. That's what he says. Like he's taught about Jesus, he knew, but they didn't know about Acts 2 yet. They were still stuck back here. And they're also, Jesus talked about this kind of stuff. And you can see when, in John 7, where Jesus is teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles, he kind of sneaks up his disciples, he sends them ahead, he goes by himself, and then he starts teaching in the synagogue, and they're talking about stuff. And he's talking about the Spirit and it being given. This is the thing they're asking about. We didn't know the Spirit had been given like that. They know about the Holy Spirit. They know it came on people like Samson. They know it came on these prophets in the, in the, in the Old Testament. They know these stories, but they didn't know that this thing from Joel 2, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. They did not know that that had happened yet. That happened in Acts 2. Peter says that. This is, this is that. That's what he says, literally. This is that, what Joel said. They didn't know that it happened yet. And Jesus confirms this way of thinking. Again, these people aren't bad. They're doing the best with what they got. On the last and greatest day of the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this is it. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. There were things that had to happen, and then the Word had to get out. And I'm going to tell you right now, 2,000 years later, there are people who the Word hasn't gotten out to yet. And it's our job, as those who know, to tell them. So, they were trying to live a life that Jesus taught on their own, and they hadn't heard That this was happening yet that the holy spirit was now being poured out on everyone all flesh like james said it doesn't matter if you're three years old or one year old or 95 years old all flesh it doesn't matter if you're a, a man or a woman a child it doesn't matter anymore it's poured out on all flesh because of what jesus did that's what's available to us they were genuine followers but they were not empowered and this truly is good news. Oh, I've, Matt, can, you get, can somebody bring me up my bag? This bag there, I forgot my... I have an illustration today. This was my other lowbrow food illustration. So let Kevin bring this up. Because this whole... As I was reading this whole interaction between... Um, <laughs> this is really stupid. I, I, I'm sorry, you have to engage with me on this just because... Don't take anything out of there. It's all important. The... Uh, I had an experience that was not unlike this experience... When we were, thank you, Kevin. When we were camping earlier this, this summer with John Francis and some guys, because the subject came up, and if you can bear with me in metaphors, metaphors and such, the baptisms, which are kind of like, in my mind, Oreos. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Because I don't have that big of a sweet tooth, really, but there's some things that sneak through, and one of them is Oreos. And so, while we were on this trip... The subject of Oreos came up because soft brought some Oreos. And I hope you agree with me that Oreos are awesome. And I'm going to eat them while I'm talking to you. So we were eating Oreos and having a great time. Right? But then John said something which is a lot like Paul. John said... Yeah, those are good and all. But have you had dark chocolate Oreos? To which I responded to him, I didn't know dark chocolate Oreos were a thing. And he said, they are a thing. And they'll change your life. So the moment I got home, I went to the store, and I bought some dark chocolate Oreos, and I ate one, or all of them, and I have to say, John was right. These are really, really good, (laughs) and if you like normal Oreos, these are like a lot better, and I have enough for everyone if you want. So they're here. And we still, have, we still have John's baptism if you want some of those. You know. My point is, I know it's a stupid metaphor. I wanted to eat an Oreo really bad. But the significance of the spirit baptism in our lives is far more important than you knowing about dark chocolate Oreos. And it'll have a much bigger... And the difference between the two is far bigger than... you know. So don't push the metaphor too far. But the point is, you know about this. I'm telling you about this now. It's a different life. It's not the same as just trying harder. And what happens is... um, You live a spirit-filled life. Your life starts to be filled with two things. The gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. These gifts... Or our ability, or God's ability through us to do things we can't do. Miracles. And you see lists of these things in the Bible. They're not all the exact same because they're not comprehensive. Okay? So when people have a spiritual gifts list, that's fine. Use them like, you know, in that Pirates of the Caribbean. These are guidelines. Okay? It's not comprehensive in the sense of, like, there's no other gifts. Okay? Because the lists that Paul gives aren't even all the same. But you can see this. 1 Corinthians 12, we've read this recently, 7 through 11. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, like what Paul was doing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another interpretation of tongues all these work for one and the same spirit he and he who dis- and he distributes them to each one just as he determines so these gifts aren't something you can like that whole list of things this is helps make the case of what i'm talking about if i if, if god came up to you and said when heal that person and you're like i i don't know and he's like try harder you're like i don't know what that means you see what i'm saying These are things you can't do. These are things only God can do through you, all of them. In the same way, I want you to apply this to this other thing, which we call fruit. These are the results of a life that's filled with the Spirit. And you don't just say, okay, try harder. These seem like the kind of things you could just try harder to do. That's not what God's talking about. And you see this here, Galatians 5, 19 through 26. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I'm just going to list them off as a contrast. Okay. The acts of the flesh are, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's a pretty good list. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And so we have before us Jesus offering this kind of life, Holy Spirit powered life, that looks like that and is doing some of those things from the list before that's what God has for all of us here and you need to just think to yourself where are you in this whole spectrum of things you know are you the guy saying I didn't know that was a thing yet you know and you go okay good it is let's do that and if you're going yeah I used to do that or I used to, that sounds familiar I remember that that kind of thing it's important because this is not a one-time event okay? I'm getting a little out of order here on my notes. Um, in, e- in Ephesians 5, the Bible talks about be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a continual thing, okay? I'll come back to this in a second, because I want to say, if you say, so to what end? So what is our life going to look like? So now I get it, okay? I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, so now my life is awesome, and I'm like, totally well all the time. I'm never sick because if I was sick, that would mean I didn't have faith or something. And I've got tons of money and I'm like super cool, right? That's what you mean, right? The answer is no, that's not what I mean, like kind of at all. And there are people on TV that preach stuff like that. That's just not true. I'm sorry that I don't want to be like a jerk, but it's just not right. Okay. So like the idea that because I'm following Jesus, now all this, it's just awesome all the time is not true. What really is going on is you see this concept of God putting his spirit in us now as first fruits of the kingdom that's coming. So um, Craig Keener talks about when the spirit comes on Jesus at the beginning of the book of Mark. He talks about the spirit three times. And I like this a lot because we said it's the present suffering and future glory. This is the idea we're talking about. That We are participants in a future kingdom now. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit is changing us in a kind of, I don't know what the, it's reaching across (laughs) eternity into now. There's a future kingdom coming where everything will be right, all the place, all the time. But right now we get to be people who know that and by God's power can live like that now while things aren't like that. Which is important because you see this modeled in Jesus because in the beginning of Mark, he talks about the Spirit three times. Oh, where did it go? Hold on. No, I think I accidentally did. Oh, yeah, here we go. Mark talks about the Spirit three times, that it is announced by John the Baptist, it descends on Jesus, and then Jesus uses it to battle against the devil when he goes off into the wilderness. And he's like, that's a good pattern to see what God is going to do with the spirit in our lives. It's not just so that everything's awesome all the time and like I can just chill out. You know, it's like no. <laughs> it's being announced. I'm announcing it to you now. We're going to pray, it descends on you, and then you go battle the devil, okay? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what you're going to do. And you can do it. The promised spirit baptizer himself becomes a model for the spirit baptized life. And that the spirit baptized life is a life of is a life a victorious conflict with the devil's kingdom. Spirit-baptized life is a life of victorious conflict with the devil's kingdom. See, you will be different. The world isn't yet. You're going to be fighting that. And it's, you need the power to do that because it's hard. <laughs> it's first fruits. These are first fruits of what's to come. I consider, this is Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, Paul, he is living this way, and he's just come out of prison. He's also been beat by guys a couple times. When you live this way, the world doesn't like it. The world tries to stop you. Jesus himself was killed by the world. He's like, I'm the master, you're the servant, you're not greater than me. They're going to do the same thing to you. But it's because we have the first fruits within us and the hope for what's to come that it makes it that it's something we can endure. I consider that our present sufferings, any of this stuff, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we, are, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 2 Corinthians refers to this indwelling of the Spirit as like a down payment or a deposit. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So, Kayla, come on up here. We're going to close. Because you see at the end of this story, um, they figure it out. Paul figures out, okay, you don't know that Pentecost, like the whole Pentecost thing. You don't know that the Holy Spirit's here now for everyone. Okay, got it. So, it says this. He told the people to believe, oh, sorry, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Those are gifts, by the way. They were listed in that list. So speaking in tongues and prophesying are fair game because they're the gifts of the Spirit. And they're needed, frankly. I mean, if you look at Paul's life, the amount of times that he's directed by God and what we would call prophecy is a lot. (laughs) And we need that. Like, we're not going to be able to just, like, fake our way through this thing. We need to be like, God, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to pray, and he's going to answer you. Not just because you go, oh, okay, I feel like this. I mean, but he's gonna, he can show you what to do. He can speak to you. He does speak to you. You probably are, already, you just don't always know it's him. Here's one last thing that I read from Craig Keener, the theologian. He said, Acts, like Paul, is not simply calling us to a second or third or fourth spiritual experience. Acts is summoning us to a spiritual experience. In a spirit-empowered life by whatever initial and continuing experiences we are introduced to it. I'm going to read that again after I explain what that is. He's talking about some people are like, well, I follow Jesus, so I've got this thing right. And other people are like, no, 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 you've got to be baptized like in the water one. And then now you've got to come and get hands laid on you and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It has to be two separate things. Those people are like, no, it's never two separate things. It's only one thing. You know, and we've talked about this. It can be, you know, separate. It doesn't matter. But even after you have this, like I was like, okay, we've done this Holy Spirit thing. We're all, whatever, we're all there now. Sometimes years down the road and as things kind of fade away, this is where Ephesians talks about be being filled. And this is what he's talking about here. This is not a, just an event. There is an initial event, probably. Can either come through this faith in Jesus, water baptism, or later. It doesn't matter to me, but that's not it. You don't know, walk away from that like, okay, I'm different now and nothing ever, you know. It's be being filled. Part of that is your time with God. Part of that is by people praying for you. You see Paul laying his hands on it. And I've asked a few people that would be willing to come forward. I know it's COVID, so this is how we're going to do this. I have a couple people that are willing to help pray for people. If you want someone to physically lay hands on you and pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you, then I want you to come forward as they come forward to be willing to do that. I also want to do this. If you're at home, I want you to do the same thing. If you feel like you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're lacking the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, our world needs this. Your life may need this. If you need that, you don't see that in your life, you need to be filled. If you don't live in a world of the gifts of the Spirit, like where God can speak, God can heal, and God can do things, you need this in your life, you need to be filled, and I'm going to ask that if you need that, that you either come forward and get prayed for. You. you guys, come on up here now. Anybody who asked to pray, go ahead and come up. Or if you're in this room, or if you're at home, I want you to at least stand, and we're going to pray for you if you need to be filled. Because I'd heard Dr. Mark Rutland speak on this message on this kind of thing before, and when Paul asked this question, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit?" You can emphasize different words in this phrase you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? That kind of means something. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? That kind of means something. And I think that today what God wants to say to us is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Not did your mom, not did your dad, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And if you need to be filled, or if you've never been filled by the Holy Spirit, I want you to stand, and we're going to pray for you. And if you want to be have hands laid on you, come forward. But stand now if you if you need this, and I'm going to pray. And I want you to, if you're at home and you need to be filled with the Spirit, you need to stand too. It doesn't matter that we can't see you. It's an action before God. It doesn't matter. I don't. It's not in my business anyway. So Father, I pray that in this place and this time, for those who have stood and said yes, I need to be filled by the spirit of God. I need your spirit in my life. I need the fruit of your spirit. I need the power of your spirit to rule in my life. God, I ask that now in Jesus' name that you would fill those who have stood. Fill them overflowing with your fruit and the gifts of your spirit in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that your love would flow through these people that they would fulfill the law of the prophets by loving their neighbor as themselves. And Lord, I, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this gift and pray that you would continuously fill our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.